0: Today's passage passage comes from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. He may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. I do want to just take a moment and acknowledge and, and say thank you for the support I've had for, from everyone. I think everyone or almost everyone here knows that my, my father passed this last week, and that has been an answer to prayer. And of course, we're also very sad, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessing, but it's, it's a hard blessing. Um, I do want to say specifically thank you to Randy Keller and to all those that volunteered with Good Neighbor Days. It was a project I was supposed to be very present in and part of, and he was willing to step up and just completely take that over, and that was a a very big blessing. I'm very thankful for that. I'd like to tell you about the time I realized how thoroughly selfish of a person I am. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was a, it was my last year there, and I heard a chapel speaker talk about his own selfishness, and, and some of the things that he said really stuck with me, but they, they stuck with me in an odd sort of way. The speaker talked about when he, how when he gave money to someone who was in need, if he was being honest with himself, a big part of the reason for his giving was selfish, and I was selfish stunned. I was stunned that this person could not even give to a person in need and not think about himself. He went on to talk about how all of us were deeply and irredeemably selfish. And I don't know if I don't remember the rest of his message because it was a long time ago or if I don't remember the rest of his message because I spent the rest of his message thinking about all the things I would have done better and differently had I been up there preaching that sermon. (laughs) Trust me, there is absolutely no audience that's worse to preach to than a group of 22-year-old preaching majors, because with all of our wisdom and experience, we know not only what the Bible means, but also we know we could have preached your sermon better than you did. And we know that even though we spend most of your sermon thinking about how wonderful it would be to meet you afterwards and tell you about all the things that you did wrong. That's probably not all 22-year-old preaching majors, but that's a lot of 22-year-old preaching majors. Well, as it happened, I went home the the next evening and on my way to see some of my friends in Springfield, I stopped to get some gas and there was a man outside of the gas station asking for someone to buy him a gallon of milk. And so I went inside the gas station and I I bought him a gallon of milk and I came out and I gave him an extra $20. And I I remember that after I gave him the money, I actually looked around to see if anybody had seen me give him the $20. If anyone had seen my good deed. And, And as I was driving that night... I sat in my car, thinking about all the things I would have said to the man that preached that sermon. To my shame, I don't, I don't even remember his name. I thought about all the things that I would have said to him about, about that subject of selfishness had he been there. I, I, I think I, I sat there and I thought, you know, just because you're selfish doesn't mean I'm selfish. Selfish. Just because you can't give without thinking about yourself doesn't mean I can't give without thinking about myself, and boy, I wish you were here so I could tell you that. I don't know how long it took before I realized the depth of my depravity on that drive, but it really did happen then. That night, I realized through and through how selfish a person I am. Selfishness is one of the things we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, Last week, Pastor Ben introduced our new sermon series that we've called Rejected Grace. It's through the book of Jonah. And as Pastor Ben and I tried to get at the heart of that book, uh, the best way we could sum it up was this phrase, Rejected Grace. The book of Jonah is about a prophet. But most of all, it's about a God who gives grace and the prophet's rejection of that grace, both for himself and for others. Now, Ben last week invited us to keep two questions in mind, and we're going to talk about one of those specifically today. He told us each message, each time we read through Jonah, we should ask ourselves, what have I witnessed, and who would I have a hard time telling? Kind of making that a relevant, the book of Jonah a very relevant thing for us. Asking the questions, what have I witnessed? In other words, how have I seen God working? What gifts have I been given? And how can I tell people about them or use them? And who would I have a hard time telling? And today we're going to talk about our tendency to love ourselves more than others and God's love for us despite our terrible shortcomings. So the single sentence sermon summary is this. God's love for us is greater even than our selfishness, and he loves us more than we do. God's love for us is greater even than our selfishness, and he loves us more than we do. I'll give you a second if you want to write that down, because just in a moment, we're going to have another slide. So I I want to start by looking at this and admitting that we love ourselves a lot more than we'd like to admit. It doesn't take too much self-reflection to realize that we're pretty selfish people. It takes a lot more to really get down to the core of why we do the things we do. And maybe your experience would be different. Maybe if you sat and really reflected on on why you do the things you do, on what's going on in your heart, you would find that you are a selfless and benevolent person, that that's not a thing you struggle with. I can only speak to you about my own heart, and I have to admit, deep to my core, I struggle with selfishness. Isaiah 64.6 describes it this way, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags because even when we do good things, they're tainted by sin. You think about giving $20 to a person in need and hoping against hope that someone sees you do it. Jonah, uh, the second verse in the book of Jonah, talks about the wickedness of Nineveh stacking up so high that it, that it reaches heaven, right? You're, the wickedness of Nineveh has risen up before me. Like the, the evil deeds are just piled on top of each other so greatly that they reach up to God in heaven. And the thing of it is, the human heart is capable of that all on its own. The sin of that is part of who we are, is pervasive. It taints everything that we do. Even the good things we do are tainted by sin. And so we do things like, yes, I'll give to this homeless man, but wouldn't it be great if someone watching was, was just so impressed? Or, yes, I'll be kind to that person that I do not like. Not, not because I love them, but because I know that's what a good Christian should do, and that label is important to me. Of course you should do those good things, right? You should still do the good things even though they're tainted by sin, but we shouldn't imagine ourselves to be selfless in the midst of them. And this looks differently for all of us. All of us struggle with selfishness in different ways. For some of us, we tend to think very lowly of ourselves instead of thinking very highly, we think very lowly of ourselves. I'm not good enough. How could God love me? How could any person want to know me? I call this false pride because it looks different, but at its core, it's still me that's most on my mind. Selflessness is when we don't think about ourselves at all. That's true humility in the Bible is described as not thinking of oneself at all. But this selfishness of ours is is short-sighted. That's a bit of a tongue twister. This selfishness of ours is short-sighted. It has to do with the here and now, with fleeting pleasure and temporary gain. But God wants something better for us. And praise God, he desires our salvation even more than we do. God desires our salvation more than we do. Now, because we're so tainted by selfishness, we have a hard time imagining a God who isn't. Our culture struggles to see God as truly and unconditionally loving. We tend to think of him as someone who gives a set of rules, who sits back and he just waits to see if you're going to follow them or not. But that's not God's love at all. We are run through and through with selfishness, but God isn't. His love is genuine and real and pure. I want to read for you Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. They should be on the screen. They describe this love of God. Verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's love is genuine and rich and given to us though we are so completely undeserving of it. And his love doesn't fall short like ours does, but we still struggle to believe it. As a pastor, one of the things that frequently happens is people will ask and be worried about their salvation. Have I lost it? Did I ever really have it in the first place? How could I still struggle with sin in this way if I'm saved? How could all these things about me still be true if I actually really belong to Jesus? We tend to think that that God has this rule book, as I said before, and, and He sits on a swivel chair with us. And when we obey the rules, when we go to church, when we, when we do our devotions, when we act like a good Christian, He turns toward us and He smiles and we have His love and His affection and we're in. But then when we make a mistake, when we sin, when we fall away, when we don't go to church, that His His love kind of turns off. We've broken the rules, so God turns away from us. And that's not the way God loves us at all. His love is constant. You can never exhaust his love for you. Even if you've turned away, even if you've run away, he still loves you absolutely and longs for you to turn back. God desires our salvation more than we do. And God desires our sanctification more than we do. Sanctification is that word that describes how we're changed by God's Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus. We accept Him as our Lord and Savior. We receive His Holy Spirit and by His power we're changed to become more and more like He is. That's sanctification. You see, when we do devotions and we talk about them being part of the, the process of sanctification, it's not, it's not about earning or working for God's grace or goodness. Psalm 34, verse 8 says this. Most of you will know this verse when you hear it. Taste and see what? That the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You can think about devotions, those practices that we have like silverware. there are opportunities to experience the goodness of God. They provide nourishment, and they're absolutely essential to growth. And so your devotions can't only be done by you yourself with your Bible. That, is, that should be part of it. Please, Hear me. That should be part of it. If you don't have a regular habit of Bible reading, I so want to encourage you to develop one. But that can't be the beginning and end of your devotional life. It cannot be. I've mentioned several times, and and Ben mentioned last week, that chapter 2 Corinthians 5. It's the passage that's really important and special to me so much that we skipped the reading the week we preached on it. We have this calling to be ambassadors for Christ. To tell of the things he's done, both in the story of scripture and in the story of our lives. And that's a devotional practice, too. Pastor Penn mentioned asking yourself the question, what have I witnessed? In other words, what has God done in my life that has changed me? In what ways has he equipped me to be his ambassador? The opportunities that we have to love others are a grace from God. But it's not just for others, it's for us as well. The opportunities we have to show his love for others are for them and for us as well. Here's what I mean by that. When I allow God to use me to speak love into someone's life, to share about what he's done in mine, to point them back to this incredible story of Scripture, this story about a God who loves his creation so much that he became man, that he emptied himself, that he made himself nothing, to be born as a baby, to live, to show us what it really means to love one another, to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead, conquering sin and death and making eternal life possible for all of us. When we point people to that story, we bless them and we're blessed as well. That's part of the process where God makes us more like He is. When we use the gifts He's given us, when we love others the way He does, we're changed by that. It's a grace to them. It's a grace to us as well. And when we reject that, when we reject the grace we're called to give and to be to others, we reject the grace God is giving us as well. A missed opportunity to share the love of God is a missed opportunity to the person we could share with, and it's a missed opportunity for us as well because we're changed by it. So what do we do about this? What's the so what to this? God desires our sanctification more than we do. He provides opportunity after opportunity to be used by him. He gives us gifts to use to build up the church and to share his love with others. What's the so what to that? So what do we do? The only real option when we're faced by God's overwhelming love, is surrender. The only real option when we're faced with God's unrelenting, unconditional love is surrender. And this is harder than it sounds because we have this inborn selfishness, don't we? It's part of us and it runs through and through. And it tends to look a lot like this. Yes, God, I'll surrender to you everything you want me to do except that. Jonah says, yes, God, I'll be your prophet. I'll go anywhere you want me to go except there. Yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll give you every part of my life. Help me to stop sinning just not yet. We like to put conditions on our relationship. With God. We like to hold on to the selfishness inside of us and get God's grace without giving into it completely. The only real option when faced with God's unrelenting love is surrender. And it's something you have to practice. There's that first time, there's that first moment when you hear about Jesus Christ, you hear the good news of the gospel, and you surrender your life to him. There's that moment, and that's important. Hear me, that's important. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you will do that today. Pray that you'll talk to me or Pastor Ben or one of our deacons afterwards, and we'd love to talk about that with you. But it's not the only surrender asked of you. Surrender is not something you do once. It's a thing you do again and again and again and again. It's a thing in the midst of the good deed when you're giving the gallon of milk to somebody and you realize how much you want to pat on the back for that and you say, God, forgive me and help me and change me. And you surrender again. It's a thing when you get up in the morning and you know that you've set a plan for yourself to read your Bible every day before you go to work, but you are just so tired. And you surrender, not to sleep, but to Him. Surrender is a thing you practice, and it is the only real cure for the selfishness in our hearts, to surrender to the love of God. We have to remember that God's love isn't like ours. We can trust him. We don't ever have to worry that there's an ulterior motive on God's part. He's clear. He wants you to surrender to him so he can change you inside and out, through and through, and make you more like his son. And if we do that, if we really, truly do that, we will never be the same. Our whole lives will be different. God's love for us is greater even than our selfishness. And so the only response for us to do is to surrender. I hope that in the coming weeks you'll read through the book of Jonah. It doesn't take too long. You can read it through in less than half an hour. And as you read it through, I I hope you'll ask yourself those questions that we talked about. What have I witnessed? What's God called me to? What have I seen Him do, both in the story of Scripture and in my own life? And who would I have a hard time telling it to? And if an answer comes to you, my hope is that you'll surrender. You'll respond to the call and love of God. and That you'll let Him use you as grace in someone else's life. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you so thankful for blessings. You are amazing, and we praise you. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've changed me over time, that you've revealed to me the depth of my own struggles, and bit by bit, you're making me more like you. And Lord, I thank you. For so many here who can say the same, that you are at work inside of them, changing them. Lord, that doesn't mean that we ever fully overcome pride, that we fully overcome selfishness. We never will. Not on this side of heaven. But Lord, we praise you for the work that you're doing in us and through us. We ask for the strength and courage and wisdom continually to surrender to your perfect and unrelenting and unconditional love. Pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.